0: Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. This morning, I want to share with you possibly the ultimate game changer of all time, the ultimate raising of the standard of all time, and that is grace. The concept of grace. And so this morning I want us to get our head around possibly the most controversial topic in Christianity, grace. Grace is something that Christians find really hard to articulate, that we find really hard to get our heads around and understand. And that's the people in the church, let alone the people outside the church. Many times I hear questions and they're really grace-oriented questions. You know, we hear the pharisaic spirit say, well, that person's abusing grace. We hear um, people who are wrestling with their own faith. What actually is grace? We hear all sorts of questions, whether they use the word grace or not, it actually comes back to grace. I wanna tell you grace is a game changer. It's the game changer for your life. Grace is the story of scripture grace is all the way through scripture. It is completely scandalous. It's completely reckless. It's completely unmeasurable and without any bounds. It is the complete abandonment of God towards humanity because of his great love for humanity. Grace is enormous and it's probably something we'll never fully understand. But I believe that in order to live our lives properly, we need to have some kind of grasp on what grace actually is. So, this morning, as I was praying uh, leading into this morning, I asked God, What is actually the message you want to communicate this morning? And the message He wants you to walk out with is that you are free and you are empowered. That is grace. You are free and you are empowered. You are free from all those things that are trying to bind you up and hold you back. You are free. Completely free, whatever you walked in with this morning, you can walk out without because of grace. That is the first part of grace, is complete freedom. All the chains, gone. All the curses, gone. All the restrictions, gone. No more, grace, free. The second thing you need to understand is that you're now empowered. The flip side of grace is I may be free from everything that's tried to hold me back, but I'm empowered to live a powerful life in the future. That in a nutshell is what I want you to walk out with this morning. I am free and I'm empowered. I'm free and I'm empowered. Grace sets the standard. So this morning, two bite-sized pieces, what grace is and what it achieves in our lives. We're gonna do a little bit of a ministry college class this morning. Is that okay? Is it okay if we do a bit of doctrine, a bit of theology? just to get our heads around this before you walk away understanding how to apply it to your life. Grace is the story of scripture. Grace is the story of the Bible. If we were to boil everything down, it comes down to grace. So grace, why is it necessary? Well, it all started right at the beginning, right at the beginning, when Adam and Eve did the wrong thing, all right? And sin entered the world. Sin broke relationship between man and God, Sin estranged us from a God who loves us and intends goodness towards us. And because sin pulls us away from God, what we saw in the Old Testament is that God's people ended up becoming slaves. And that's what happens. We become slaves when we're away from God. We think that we're pursuing so-called freedom, but there is no freedom in sin. Sin binds you up and makes you its slave. And so we see this as God's people become slaves and they become slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. Eventually God raises up a deliverer named Moses and Moses brings them out of slavery after 400 years as slaves. That's a long time. That's mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, 400 years is a really long time for generations to be in slavery. And so they come out of slavery under Moses' leadership and they're they're at the foot of this mountain called Sinai. And who knows humanity, I mean, I, I love the story of the Israelites, you know this, because I just read their story, I realize how much of their story is a depiction of who I am. And I realize, you know what, they're, they're, all humanity just wants to dot I's and cross T's. We would prefer to fit inside a box and have a checklist than be accountable to relationship. And so they say to Moses, you know what, we're, we're afraid of this God who rumbles at the top of the mountain, who's a cloud and fire and, and, you know, we're afraid of this God. Why don't you be our mediator? Why don't you talk to God for us? And so he does that for a while. Eventually, they're not happy with that either. Why don't you actually ask God to make a set of rules? Because we want a checklist. That would be much easier. And so God is reluctant to do it, but he gives them, what does he give them? the 10 commandments. He writes the rules on two pieces of stone and he delivers it to humanity. Well, that's not even good enough because between that being done and Jesus coming, they turn 10 commandments into more than 600 laws. How stupid are we? It's just so much easier to have a checklist and fit into a box and be accountable and vulnerable and present before a living God who just wants relationships. And so we're actually whipping ourselves all the time when God's like, I just want you. I just want relationship with you. This is how we do life. We prefer works than grace. And God is constantly trying to extend grace to us. And so they, under this law, you know, to make themselves right with God, they have to offer sacrifices right throughout the year and all different sorts of things to make them right with God for another year or another season, and so they, there are conditions, and they have to bring spotless animals and sacrifice them before God. And, and the reason for that is because the, the animal takes their place. The animal replaces them and their life. It's a life for a life because sin equals death. And so if I'm in a place of death and the payment for my sin is death, then someone else's life has to take my place to pay for that. And so this is why right through the Old Testament, they have to offer this, the 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 blood of spotless, perfect animals, and they have to do it over and over and over and over and over. And as the law gets more and more refined, and as there are more and more rules, it just illustrates how far we are from God, how much we're never going to measure up, how much the debt is never going to be paid, how indebted we are, and how big the gap is between us and a perfect God. And so it's constantly whipping us. It's constantly demanding on us. And it's never, ever satisfied. I want to tell you, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be great enough. You'll never do all the right things. It doesn't work that way. And it never has. But this loving God who always loved and his heart always extended has a plan. And in this plan, he visits a virgin girl and he says, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth to a man who's going to be the savior of the world, that man is going to be sacrificed for the sin of all the world. That man is going to take the place of all the animals that are required under the law. That man who is going to be spotless is actually finally going to take the place of humanity once and for all. He sends his son. This is God who puts on a garment of flesh comes into the world through a virgin girl, raises up as a, as a young man in obscurity and then he's baptized by his crazy cousin, John the Baptist. Crazy. The skies open, a dove descends, an audible voice of the Lord, heard by everyone present, says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus from that moment goes goes forward ministering for three years. Everywhere he goes, he is miraculously healing sick bodies. He's bringing provision. He's turning water into wine. He's providing financially. He's bringing freedom for people who are um, tormented and unwell, physical healing. Everywhere he goes, he's bringing the goodness of God, healing, provision, reconciliation, breakthrough, forgiveness. And the people of the day the lawmakers of the day, the priests of the day, could handle everything except that last one, forgiveness. How could this carpenter's son dare to assume he could bring forgiveness? Only the law could do that because we're stupid and we prefer to come under the law. No, 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 only the law can do that, although it can't. And they were angry at him for supposing that he could bring forgiveness when only shackles and chains could make us right with God. And so they become angry with Him, they become intimidated by Him, afraid of Him, and the ones who loved Him eventually murder Him and play perfectly into the part prophesied for hundreds of years. They murder the Son of God, they murder God Himself. This is the creator of the universe being nailed to His creation by his creation and he chose to do it. They didn't even realize that hanging before them was the perfect spotless lamb of God. They actually offered the greatest sacrifice of all time, raising up the most spotless offering in all of history. And there he was, his blood poured out, why? For you and for me. Once and for all, the law was satisfied. Once and for all time, the law was complete and finished with. They beat him, they mocked him, they crucified him, and he let it all happen. Not only for sin, but for every bondage in the world. Not just sin, but every curse, every lack, every poverty mindset, every bondage was broken by his broken body. Every single thing that we become enslaved to was overcome by the sacrifice of Jesus. He took our plight, our place, and finally, the sacrifice outweighed the sin and over, overcame its power, finally. But it didn't end there, praise God. It didn't end there. His name's Emmanuel, which means God is with us because he's not just dead in a tomb somewhere he's alive. Three days later, he rose from the dead, overcoming death itself. And that is significant. Because of that, we are, no, we are not just forgiven. We're not just clean. We're now empowered into life. We're not just, oh, thank you very much. I'm now going to heaven. No, no, no. He rose again. And he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit so that you can go and be. You're free and you're empowered. You're free, church, and you're empowered. This is the story of grace. This is the story of grace. You know, my kids often, um, I don't know if anyone else's children have ever said this, that's not fair. Anyone? My kids have stopped saying it because the first few times they said it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not trying to be fair. I'm trying to be just. It's not about fairness, it's about justice. God is not a socialist. He's not trying to be fair, but he's just. You know what fairness would mean? Fairness would mean you actually get what you deserve. You don't wanna get what you deserve. You don't don't wanna get what you deserve. I don't wanna get what I deserve. He's not trying to be fair, but he is just. And justice meant someone needs to pay the price. Fairness would mean I'm gonna leave you to pay the price. I'm gonna make you keep trying to pay the debt, which is totally impossible. That's fairness. Justice means I love you so much, I know that debt has to be paid, I'm gonna pay it. And justice is satisfied. He's not trying to be fair, He is just, and He pays the debt on our behalf. It is completely reckless. You know, when I received grace, I could hardly believe it. I could hardly believe it. No matter what anyone had said over my life, no matter what I'd said over my own life, finally I I grasped the desperate need I had. I realized how far I was from God, and I could hardly believe that He closed that gap between us. I could hardly believe it in grace, we don't get what we deserve. We get more than we deserve. We get so much more. So today, what is grace and what does it achieve? Firstly, a few definitions of grace. I'm going to just like skim through them really, really fast. Grace is the unmerited favor, mercy, and kindness that is bestowed on us through Jesus. Unmerited, undeserved favor, It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's a spiritual blessing. It's shown without regard. There's no regard, he's not a, he doesn't respect one person over another. There is no regard to the worth or merit of the one receiving it. Grace is a privilege, we need to see it as a privilege. Grace is God's will towards us. Grace is the throne of God's unmerited favor. Isn't that awesome to consider he sits on the throne of grace? Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit to meet every evil tendency fully. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to meet every temptation you face and meet it fully. Grace is earthly blessing that he's going to provide everything we need according to his goodness and his grace. Grace is the blessing of deliverance. If you this morning need deliverance from something, you just need grace. Grace is one of the key attributes of God. Jesus embodies grace. It signifies the goodness of God and grace is the better, superior, new covenant. It's the new law having fulfilled the old law. Grace is unmerited and grace is empowering. It's the unmerited favor and blessing of God to redeem us even when we didn't deserve it. He paid for our sin so we didn't have to It's a gift we can't earn. It's freely given to us just because of His love towards us. Grace is undeserved and it's extended to everybody, paid on behalf of everybody. But it's also the fulfillment of everything we try to do. It's the fulfillment of every rule we try to keep. It's the fulfillment of every time we feel like we haven't measured up. Grace is the fulfillment of the law, once and for all, Jesus met all those six hundred and one prerequisites and paid for all of it, and he said, "I am the embodiment of the law. Come to me, receive what I've paid for you. Come, the law now no longer has any power over you. The law now is not anything you need to try to live up to, just come to me. I am the fulfillment of the law." In Hebrews 8, it tells us that the days will come when I will ratify a new covenant or agreement. In verse 10, I will imprint my laws not on tablets, but on their minds, even their innermost thoughts and understandings, and I will engrave them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The better covenant is no longer something written in stone. It's something written on the tablets of a human heart. It's something written in the soul of a person's mind. The greater covenant is who we become rather than something we do out of relationship. And so we're free from the taskmaster of the law. We're made right with him. We receive his righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. And he makes the law obsolete. He abolishes the law because he fulfills it. Now it's just him we look to. What now, people often ask, what now? And this is where the grace questions actually come from. People aren't asking, what is grace? They're like, so now that I've received it, what now? Because if it was just about being free, then why doesn't God just once we make a decision to follow Jesus, kill us there on the spot and take us to heaven, right? What do I do now? Now that I've received grace, what do I do now? This is where the questions really come from. And it's vital to understand what it achieves in our lives, what grace achieves. If there are no rules, no law, then what next? Well, grace raises the standard. John 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us loved us. Grace provokes love and reverence. When I repent and start living out of my love for God, I change. I fall in love with God and out of love with sin. The act of grace brings about repentance. Repentance brings about change. When you love God, you hate sin. And so it's not about trying to do the right thing. It's a natural response. So what the law once demanded of you, it now becomes an organic response. Something that just happens on the inside because the law is written on the tablet of your heart. God raises the standard. James says, James 4 verse 6, grace by the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. Grace does that. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 the grace of God turns them to Christ and keeps, strengthens, and increases them in Christian values. We're righteous because He made us righteous. The result of grace and our love for God is a change in our behavior. 1 John 2, verse 4 and 5 says So, how do you know if someone is truly in Christ? Whoever says I know him but failed to keep and obey his commandments is a liar. The truth of the gospel is actually not in him. But he who keeps and treasures his word, who bears in mind precepts and observes his message in its entirety, truly in him the love of and for God has been perfected. So we know when we're in love with God because we naturally are changing. We naturally are being transformed from the inside out, not the outside in. We have freedom from fear, agitating passion, and moral conflict, which First Peter 1, verse 2. Wouldn't that be awesome? Free from fear, agitating passion, and moral conflict. All those conflicts, internal conflicts you have, our hearts are bound to his, and so we naturally want what he wants. If I could have the musos back up. Here's, here's the clincher. Here's the clincher to keep on sinning, to remain in a place of moral conflict does not mean you're abusing grace. It means you have not had a full revelation of it. There's no such thing as abusing grace. There's no such thing as too much grace. Are you kidding? Oh, I don't know if I can show that much grace. There's no such thing as too much grace. You cannot abuse grace. To keep on sinning means you haven't had a revelation of it. Because when you've had a revelation of it, when you've been toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye with the Savior of the world, the one who bled and died in your place, there is no such thing as even wanting to abuse that love. When we are face to face with Him receiving grace, we automatically respond out of love. We love because He first loved. If you are not loving Him, it's because you have not had a revelation of His love in your life. Grace changes us. Grace raises the standard. Grace raises the standard. We are transformed. We are set free. Now here's where it's at, and I'm going to ruffle every religious Pharisaic spirit in the room. I want to tell you that a person who goes on sinning has not had a full revelation of grace. Good, done, settled. But a person who chooses to live in lack also is sinning. A person who chooses to refuse the grace for healing is also sinning. A person who chooses to keep the mindset of fear and anxiety is also sinning. Christ did not die so that I could select which areas of victory I would walk in. He died that I'd have victory in every single area. This morning, we're going to do some business in the spirit. Because I know that there are some of us here who are wrestling with what I call the conditions of earth. As a young Christian, I realized by the spirit that we live in, in this realm of the natural, in earth, and there are conditions of earth that actually contradict the conditions of heaven. Things like cancer, things like poverty, things like lack, things like bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, Things like pride, things like self-preservation, all the conditions of the earth that keep us bound, that actually offend heaven. Jesus died for us to step into the fullness of what heaven provides for us. So This morning, if you want to stand to your feet, I'm wondering what condition of earth you're bound by today. And I know that the Spirit will be speaking to every one of us this morning about what that is. Would you just close your eyes and reflect for a moment. We're gonna sing this song. We're gonna sing this song as a moment to reflect and I want you to consider what is that condition that's keeping me bound, that I need to actually boldly, unapologetically come before the face of God come before grace and hand over to him. It might be a financial situation that you've come under and agreed with. It might be a physical condition that you've come under and agreed with. It might be an uh, an unresolved relational tension that you're harboring and nursing as a pet. It might be a hurt from your past and that person really did hurt you, but you now actually need to repent to God and say, I'm sorry for hanging on to that God. I give it over to you. I'm walking into freedom. What is that area in your life where grace needs to empower you to live in the fullness that Christ died for? Come on church, let's worship. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.